listening to the Business of Baking podcast with Michelle Green, the small business podcast that's all about successfully running your own sweet food company without losing your mind. If you've ever brought dessert to a party and been told you can make a fortune selling those, then you're in the right place. This is an honest, straight-talking podcast about the highs and lows of being in small business. Fueled by late nights, crazy client stories, and a permanent sugar high, we're going to listen, share, and learn our way to sweet business success. Here's your host, writer, speaker, recovering cake decorator, and incurable sweet tooth, Michelle Green. Welcome to the Business of Baking podcast. It's Michelle. I don't know who else it would be, and I think I say that on every episode. Really, I need to come up with a new, more interesting line to start this. Today's episode is going to be a little bit different to most other episodes. Normally, I talk about business stuff or I talk about, you know, life stuff or I talk about other people and hear about their businesses and what they're doing. And today, I decided to be really brave and do something a little bit different. For anybody who's been following my work for the last couple of years, you know that several times I have talked about the fact that I'm writing a second book. And if you don't know that I have a first book, then you can pop onto Amazon or Barnes and Noble and one of those guys and find the business of baking book. But if you don't know, I've been working on this second book. And the truth of the matter is I'm finding this process really, really, really hard. And I'm finding it hard not because of the writing part, because writing is totally my jam and I love it. I'm actually finding it really difficult because I'm not writing about baking and I'm not writing about business. I'm just writing about life stuff. The number one bit of feedback I get from people is that they ask me at the end of every class, like, Michelle, have you ever considered being a life coach? I get that a lot. And rather than become a life coach or offer that kind of counseling, I decided instead to write everything I know or have learned about life in one book and put it all in one place so I could kind of be a book life coach, if that makes sense. It's just kind of like stuff I have either used in my own life to get where I am or things I have heard that I think are really useful or lessons I've learned from living a very amazing life. One of the things I often say about my life is that it's never boring, which is often a good thing, sometimes not a good thing, but most of the time I lead a pretty exciting, happy life that is very fulfilled, but it's not without its trials and tribulations. So over the years, I've collected notes on all the various methods that have worked for me to living an amazing life, and I've started writing those down into this book. Let me first admit that I've got about, I think it's like close to 40,000 words, and I want about 65,000, so I've got a little bit of a ways to go, and this book currently has no structure. I literally wrote down a bunch of headings, and then every day, or as near as I can get to every day, to be fair, there are whole months where nothing happens, I sit and I write about those particular topics. And then I come back to them and I edit them and I haven't worked out the structure of this. I haven't really anything. At the moment, it's just a massive, massive brain dump. This book has no title yet. It's got, I think, 20 different optional titles, you know, things like how to live a lifetime of awesome and how to get stuff done. And one that I that makes me laugh, which is called You Don't Need a Guru. One is called How to Be Your Own Life Coach. I've got all kinds of interesting, you know, lessons from a normal life, stuff I teach my kids. There's like a lot of alternative titles here. And I haven't really worked out what it's going to be called or what the structure of this is going to be because honestly it's one of those things that is a work in progress and once I'm finished writing it then I can do all that kind of logistical stuff around it. 
So the brave part about today is that I've never read anybody any of this book at all. No one in my life has ever read a single word of this book other than me, and nobody's ever looked at it, and nobody knows what it's about. They simply know, because I keep saying it, that I'm writing it. And by the way, like part of my continually saying that I'm writing it is to hold myself accountable. And to be honest, that works sometimes and doesn't work other times. Yeah, so this is kind of scary for a couple of reasons. The first is that it's more of a self-help book. It's not about something I'm known for. I plan on selling this book to lots of people, not just the bakers and the decorators and the cookie makers out there. So one, it's a departure from what I currently do. And two, I've had that ugly thing rearing up in my head of imposter syndrome. Like, who am I to tell people how to live their lives? I haven't really necessarily figured it all out, you know? And to put out a book about life advice when I don't necessarily lead a perfect life is kind of a scary thing. Now, of course, nobody lives a perfect life, even super wealthy or super beautiful or super smart people. Nobody's out there living a perfect life. And so who am I to talk about it? Well, maybe I'm just the person willing to talk about it, you know? So I've kind of got to get out of my own way with this book And today's episode is a little bit about that. So I thought I would read you guys one of the articles from that book and open the door to feedback. Let me know what you think. Let me know if you enjoyed it. Let me know if you think I'm on the right track, if you'd like to hear more. Let me say before I start reading this, it is totally unedited. I wrote it a few days ago, this article, and I have not reread it. So this is super brave because nobody's ever heard me read this. I've not reread it. I'm literally just reading it straight off the page. So with all those disclaimers in place, here we go. This article from my as yet unnamed book is called The Three Day Rule. And it goes like this. When my babies were tiny, less than six months old, we got a piece of absolutely golden advice from a maternal and child health nurse. She told us that when babies are under six months old, they have a very short-term memory. So if we wanted to make any major changes to their routine, we should do that before they're six months old. So at that point, we wanted to get rid of their pacifiers, which had quickly become an annoyance more than a help. Sure, they kept the kids calm and happy during the day, but at night, we were like yo-yos getting up and down and up and down, putting them back in their mouths all night long. She then warned us that if we wanted to get rid of those pacifiers, we'd have to endure three days of hell. Not only would we have to endure the kids crying, but we'd also have to endure finding other ways to soothe them and also resist the urge ourselves to just pop those things back in their little mouths. We looked at each other and we thought, three days? Ah, no big thing. We got this. This is going to be easy. But yeah, by the end of day one, I was literally begging my husband to just let me pop a pacifier in for a few minutes to buy us some silence. By the end of day one, we both broke down and we gave all three kids back their pacifiers. All the patting and rocking, singing and playing in the world didn't seem to have the same magic effect as the pacifier did. Honestly, there's just no worse sound than small babies crying. And the sound of their mother joining them out of sheer desperation and frustration doesn't really add much to the symphony. Of course, that night when we were up and down again, popping them in and out of tiny pink mouths, we were determined to try again the next day. So we woke up and we started day one again. And then we failed and failed and failed. Day one was just so hard on all of us that we just never got through it. Eventually, we had to put in place some tools to help us get through that horrific day one. So we threw out all but two of the pacifiers and we hid those. And if one of us found the crying noise all too much, we were allowed to leave the house and walk around the block while the other person stayed with the babies. 
I'm happy to tell you that those babies are now young adults and there's not a single pacifier in sight. We eventually made it through the three days shortly before they turned six months. We then proceeded to use the three-day rule to change a whole lot of habits and behaviors that we had around the kids. And yes, many times we failed day one over and over and over again until eventually we found the tools and the strength we needed to make day one of hell a little bit more bearable. The three-day rule is one that we've often laughed about over the years because it actually ended up becoming a very integral part of our parenting in those early years. Anytime the kids, or us parents really, got into habits that caused more harm than good, or we were worried that that habit might go in that direction, we'd go back to the three days of hell plan. Of course, we'd start by looking at one another and saying, come on, we can do this. We can just survive day one. It can't be that hard. It'll get easier. And then all through day one, we'd be struggling as usual, because I guess some lessons, you just have to live through the hard stuff repeatedly until you learn. Recently, and here's where it gets interesting, I got an email from a student of mine, which was very distressing. The email was an outpouring of emotions about how she'd recently encountered her first online hater. And while she thought she had processed those emotions, she clearly hadn't, because since then, she'd been having a hard time getting her work done. She was second-guessing herself, she'd stopped posting on social media, she was avoiding emails from customers, and she generally found that she'd fallen into basically an emotional black hole. So she went on to ask for my advice on how one gets past such a difficult time, how to process those feelings, and how to get back to her usual productive self. It was a truly heart-wrenching and difficult email to read, and I found myself really feeling for her. I started to compose a reply to her, and in doing so, I realized that I'd actually originally missed that email, and I was reading it four days after she had first sent it. Side note here, anybody who has had anything to do with me knows that I generally reply within hours, so it was particularly unusual that four days had gone by and I didn't reply. So given my email addiction, it was kind of odd that I hadn't seen it earlier, and I can't explain why that is. But in any case, with the amount of emotion expressed in her email, I immediately felt kind of terrible that I'd left her high and dry. So I ended up deleting my lengthy reply, and I instead replied with, I'm only seeing this now, and I'd really love to help you, but given the time that has passed, are you still struggling with this? I got a reply from her within a few hours. Oh no, that's all over now. I've been back to work for a few days. Now I'm just struggling to decide which project to do next, and I feel overwhelmed by deciding which direction to go in. I had to laugh. This huge, upsetting, dramatic email where she felt the sky was falling, and now that problem was just gone? poof, disappeared. Her email was filled with declarations of surrender and despair and a desire to simply leave all her hard work behind. And now it was all good again? What? How did that massive thing just disappear in such a short amount of time? Around those same emails, around that same time, I was listening to a podcast where the owner of a multi-million dollar business spoke about having to announce that his company was being bought out. He knew that potentially his customers would not receive that information well. So the announcement came out, and as expected, there was quite a lot of noise about it and quite a lot of unhappy customers. The interviewer asked him how he dealt with that backlash, to which he responded, well, I knew it was coming, and I knew it would be over within three days, so I just didn't pay it much attention. I had to smile to myself when I heard him say that, because it was yet another example of the three-day rule in effect. Sure, he was worried about having to listen to negative feedback, and that's not really pleasant, but he also knew that it would blow over. 
His job at that point became to resist the urge to respond to that feedback, resist the urge to take it personally, and instead to survive the noise and simply wait for it to settle down. You know, when we look at the world of media, there are so many examples of bright bursts of flame that easily get extinguished mere days later. Viral videos that nobody remembers a week later, one-hit wonder bands that nobody can remember the name of, winners of endless reality TV shows whose names are forgotten before the credits roll on the final episode. It also happens in Facebook groups. Someone will get totally butthurt, there'll be a massive flare-up between members, and a few days later, all is forgotten. Maybe not forgiven, but forgotten. I've spoken up for perspective multiple times in this book and on this podcast, and really, the three-day rule is a great lesson in perspective. If we're able to walk through the fire, which is those three days, chances are that whatever is weighing upon us will pass. Now, of course, it's not always easy to anticipate which things will blow over and which will have lasting effects. So the suggestion I'm making here is to try not to make any massive life decisions or rash responses until at least those three days have passed. You're, of course, allowed to spend time formulating a response. You're allowed to remain silent while the storm blows around you. This lesson and just waiting it out for those three days was a really hard one for me to learn. Day one is always the hardest because you have to survive the tsunami of negative energy and challenging emotions. But as you head into day two and then round the corner to day three, those forces lessen dramatically. As I've gotten older, I've learned that there is so much value in simply waiting it out, waiting to see what happens, waiting to give a response, and waiting to let the natural course of events unfold rather than me having to jump in there and create more drama where none is needed. So when a situation arises which requires you to change a behavior, which feels hugely dramatic and emotional in the moment, or which is caused by people other than yourself creating a storm, see if you can't employ the three-day rule. As the old saying goes, everything looks better in the morning. And so I think you'll find that after three days, all that crazy noise and negative energy has gone from sounding like a rock concert to sounding like a whisper. It's funny, as I'm reading this article, I'm thinking about how many other ways I've employed the three-day rule in my life. You know, changing an eating habit, changing an exercise habit, changing a meditation habit, whatever. The first day I am suffering, man. I'm hating it. This is so stupid. I don't like it. Why do I have to do this? My life is hell, you know, whatever. But as those days take over and you learn to live through the negative emotion and the difficulty and the swirling crazy around you, it does get easier. And it seems so cliche to say everything gets better with time, but it really does. It really, really does. And I'm sure if you look in your own life, you can find multiple examples where things just got easier, right? So I think that's really an important one to learn. I don't think that necessarily things disappear altogether, but I do think that the impact of painful things often does lessen over a couple of days. And when I'm referring to the three-day rule, I'm actually referring to making a pretty significant change in your life. So in our case, you know, getting rid of the kids' pacifiers, and in my student's case, dealing with the emotion of whatever it was that triggered her desire to give it all up. And in the case of the guy who... I listened to the podcast. It was about, you know, they weren't going to then change their choice about being acquired. He just had to ride the wave, sadly negative wave of those emotions and those people's feedback. And three days later, it was all over. So I'd encourage you now to just stop and think for a minute about two things. One, 
when the last time you had to make a change in your life was and how much it probably was terrible in the beginning. And then a couple of days later, it wasn't that bad. And how it was hard to get through day one and day two. But by the time you got to day three, it was pretty good. And then I want you to think about not only the fact that you've done this before, that you can probably do this again. So is there something in your life that you think to yourself, you know what? I really want to stop smoking. I really want to eat less sugar. I really want to meditate every day. I really want to stop responding to those people's comments on Facebook. I really want to take a break from social media, whatever it is, and see if you can't get yourself to, you know, white knuckle it through day one, make it into day two, and then round the corner into day three, where suddenly everything looks a whole lot better. I hope you enjoyed listening to this article from the book. I think I might do it again. Kind of nice to read what I've written and feel that I still feel really strongly about that. And it's also hard to read this to you guys and not add more commentary because I want to just talk more about this topic. So I think we might do this again in a further episode. In the meantime, I would so much love your feedback. If you found today's episode useful or if you just have anything to say, please be in touch. My email address is michelle at thebizofbaking.com and I personally read and reply to every single email I get because you know what? I think we need to know that somebody else is out there listening and paying attention and caring about us. On that note, have an amazing, 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 awesome week. And if you can't be awesome, then at least just keep showing up. Yeah. I'll speak to you soon in the next episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Business of Baking podcast. You can find show notes, links, and other fun stuff for this and previous episodes at thebizofbaking.com. Until next time, may your oven stay evenly hot, your ganache never split, and may you always be in the business of being awesome.